0: You're looking for a past idea you thought was just genius. Only you could find. Oh, there it is. Drawing board or Miro. All our finished and unfinished work lives in one place. And he's one. Join over 60 million people getting ideas noticed in Miro brainstorms. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M I R O.com.
1: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Welcome everybody to another edition of Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. I'm Jason Zone Fisher. Thank you for joining us to another episode, another week. We just keep rolling along here. Appreciate you tuning in. Ralph, how you doing? Uh, it's been a great basketball season, and now the NBA finals are here.
2: Hey, I mean, I'm excited. The, the finals are here. I mean, the whole playoffs have been amazing to watch. The games have gotten better and better. And we started this thing you know, trying to figure out what the bubble would be and how exciting would it be with no fans. But the players have gotten into the game. You see them on the sidelines. You see them hyped up. You see them into the games. The NBA NBA has done an amazing job of the production of the bubble. And, you know, it's probably going to happen again, you know, in the next year's season. So you never know. But I'm excited about the finals. Uh, You know, it's just amazing to see. But, you know, Will it be a asterisk beside a name that you won in a bubble, it, and and will people respect that? You know, years from now, say, "Oh, you played in a bubble." That, that's not a championship. What do you
1: think? Well, that's a good question, Ralph. That's a good. Uh, what's new? What's good? You know, what's new and good is that the NBA finals are taking place, and as you said, should this championship come with an asterisk for whoever actually? Wins this thing. Uh, you know, to me, in some ways, it's more impressive because these players really have sacrificed. They're away from their families, they're away from their friends, they're away from the comfort of home and all the the food they're used to, their normal routines. I mean, I know when you played, you had a routine on a game day. These guys have all had to adapt. It's a challenge. But on the other side of that, some people are saying, you know, there's, there's no home court advantage. Would teams have been able to win on the road a game seven? It doesn't really matter here. They're more focused on basketball. They're not going out. There's less distractions. Uh, you know, it, it's hard to say. What do you think, Ralph? Is this more impressive or less impressive to win it all in a bubble?
2: I mean, I think there's advantages and disadvantages. One disadvantage is that you don't have that home court, really a home court advantage. You might be down 2-1, 3-1, and you go back home, and that home team and home court is going to pump it up. But the disadvantage to that, again, is being at home. you got tickets to deal with. you got family to deal with. You may have mm-hmm. kids to deal with. You got your routine, but now it's the playoffs, so it's it's, it's totally different. In a bubble, you just have you, and your food is being served. You have pregame meals probably. You know, I think it's catered. So, you know, it's funny. I was watching some of the games, and you say, well, the Lakers or this team or that team, uh, they have home court. This is their home court game. I'm like, come on. You can't even say that as a commentator on TNT. Like, there's no home court team. The only difference between home court there is do I wear a, a white jersey and all the logos on the court that I can't even see at the play' because right. they, they change everything. I can't even see those. That's just imposed for television, yes. So just that's the only really a home court to me that, that exists. But, again, it's exciting to see. But I think there will always be an asterisk beside whoever wins the championship beside their name forever, obviously. But, yeah. uh, you know, and, and then there will be debates over the years just say, well, was it more meaningful to win in a bubble or less meaningful? I think with you that it's it's very special to win in a bubble because of all the things you've got to deal with outside of the game of basketball that you are not normally dealing with. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I compared almost to a Bill Russell. Going to win a championship a championship and the era that he played. Mm-hmm. And being in Boston and couldn't go to restaurants and sit in the front of the restaurant, got to sit in the back of the restaurant, got to go to a black or white restaurant. Those circumstances situation was tougher than today, obviously. Sure. But none of those championships are have asterisks beside them as well because he won the 3-11 championships. So yeah. it's almost similar in some respects, but I think it's going to be a special championship whoever wins.
1: I think so, too. And and I think it's actually more impressive to win in the bubble than than in another year. So, yes, while there might be an asterisk next to it, I think uh, it takes such focus and determination and sacrifice to succeed in this bubble environment that whoever wins in the end, It will have an asterisk, but it'll be remembered because it was its own beast. It was something special. It was something different. And hopefully it's something that will never happen again, because I definitely miss the roar of the crowd, the energy in an arena, the excitement. I mean, Ralph, you played in an NBA Finals in Boston Garden. When you think of a tough place to play, what is that energy like? And how does that actually affect you as a player on the court going into a hostile environment for an NBA Finals game?
2: Well, I mean, you know, let's, let's just be real. The, the, the garden, Madison Square Garden, the Boston Garden. I mean, that place right there was special. There's nothing like it, I think, these days. The arenas are way bigger, uh, much nicer, uh, you know, all the plot stuff you have. But the Boston Garden was a freaking dump. You know, yeah. let's just be real, the dump. But the fans were on top of you. And so as a player, you wanted to play in the Garden. You wanted that. Hype. You wanted to feel that as a opposing team to go on that I'm going to kick these guys' the tail because of their fans. Now their fans was hostile. They loved their team and they would boo you out of there if you didn't play well. So the garden, especially place like that, Madison Square Garden was one of them. Boston Garden was one of them. No, even in even in Cleveland and Richfield was one of them because it was in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, uh, but the fans were crazy. Right. Utah fans were crazy as well from that perspective. So every place had a different feel. But the Boston Garden was one of the best places to play for me because, you know, it's history. It's, yeah. you know, it's got historical meaning. Uh, the atmosphere is true basketball fans that know the game. And if you didn't play well, they boo you, which motivated me to play better.
1: Interesting. So for a lot of people, that could be intimidating. But it sounds like for you, going into that hostile environment, it actually amped you up wanting to absolutely them or wanting to shut them up.
2: At certain place, I mean, you know, look, you, you know basketball look, over the years. Every guy that wanted to go to Madison Square Garden, mm-hmm. Michael, to LeBron, to Kobe, they knew they had to show up. Yep. And they have, you know, 50-point games in the garden, which was what you had to do to go to the immediate capital of the world. You had to perform at your best in, in Madison Square Garden. So they hyped up. They, they got ready to play there uh, every time you played there, even if the team was bad. I mean, you, you still want to go in and kick your tail, but you had to play really well. I mean, I was there one time when Steph Curry came to Madison Square Garden. And outside down at Madison Avenue, there were billboards in New York of Steph Curry. Not, not the Knicks players, but Steph Curry. So he had to play well there because he was in the media.
1: Yep, the big stage and the lights are the brightest. Well, we could talk about Absolutely. this forever, but we've got a great guest, a Hall of Fame guest here today, so I don't want to waste any more time. I want to get right to it. I'm talking about Tina Thompson. She's the current head coach of the University of Virginia women's basketball team, but she's a member of the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame for her 17-year pro career in the WNBA. We'll get into all of that. She was a four-time champion, a nine-time all-star. Actually, when she retired, Ralph, she was the all-time leading scorer in the history of the WNBA, passing Lisa Leslie. Mm -hmm. Uh, that was recently passed by Diana Tarousey, who is still playing, but still I mean, playing talk nice. about an all-time great in the game of women's basketball, uh, Tina Thompson. I-, I can't wait to chat with her.
2: It should be fun, UVA women's coach, the number one pick in the first ever WNBA draft. So let's get to it. It's going to be an exciting interview with her.
1: All right, here she is, Tina Thompson. We are so excited to have a legendary, iconic guest here on Center Court with us today. I'm talking about a four-time WNBA champion, a nine-time WNBA all-star, two-time Olympic gold medalist, a Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer, many other things. We'll get into all of that, but she is also the head coach of the Virginia Cavaliers women's basketball team, the one and only Tina Thompson. Tina, thank you so much for making some time. We know you're busy and joining us here today.
3: Oh, my pleasure! I'm excited to be here.
1: So,
2: yeah, thanks for thanks for being here. It's busy in Charlottesville with the Wahooettes, right? The, the girls' teams and school and all that kind of stuff. I'm it sure it's crazy. But how's it going? How are you how are you doing over there?
3: Um, it's doing pretty good. I think that once our kids got um, adjusted as much as they could to the protocol and like just being in a bubble, things have been pretty good. I mean, they have a lot more kind of activity with school starting, and then us being able to practice. So now that um, our hours, because we actually have a date, um, can go up, and we're kind of in a normal practice mode, then it just makes it a lot easier because they can kill a little bit more time and have less idle time to just kind of get bored, you know, and be young people in a bubble.
1: So how do you do that? You say you're trying to make it a normal practice environment experience, but nothing this year is normal at all. What we're dealing with in so many ways, not even just talking about COVID, just everything that's happening in our country. How do you make things seem as normal as possible for your student athletes?
3: Well, I mean, one thing we do is just kind of talk about the realities of our circumstance. You know, we're not acting like the things that are happening in the world aren't happening. Mm -hmm. Um, But we remind them that we're all doing this so that we can have the opportunity to perform in our privilege. You know what I mean? That our, um, the opportunity to be collegiate student athletes, to be here at UVA, and the fact that our department and the university are doing so much work in order to allow us to play, that we have to have a certain level of gratitude. And the reality is, is that this is kind of an opt-in situation. You know, our student athletes can decide that they don't want to be in the bubble. So the fact that everyone has decided to be all in Um, It just brings a certain, uh, a different attitude, but, you know, any time we get to, I guess, kind of congregate in groups, you know, larger than just a handful or, you know, we, when things are funny, you know, we laugh, like we're very normal, kind of like coaching staff in a sense in that um, we push our, our kids to work really, really hard. But at the same time, we kind of enjoy life because what we do is difficult in itself this circumstance makes it even more difficult. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we take advantage of those moments that we can, but more than anything, like we're just operating in our reality.
2: What, what does the bubble look like on a college campus? I mean, you see the NBA, WMA playing in the mm-hmm. bubble, which is pretty cool. Um, you know, now yeah. that we, now I'm used to the, you know, uh, used to that as well. But in the college campus, the bubble so big, you know, our kids going to class or doing virtual, they're taking tests. They're taking COVID tests. What what did that bubble look like for student athlete? You know, when we were in college, I'm sure it was totally obviously different. But okay. how do what did that look like? I mean, it's just kind of weird for me.
3: Yeah. Well, when we started, um, it was just like a handful of teams here that were um, actually operating in the initial bubble, and then once school started, um, uh, the rest of the teams came back. Um, just for as a department, we were pretty strict in the sense that um, you kind of have to take a tem- temperature check as well as do like a health or wellness check that you do um, digitally. At, but you get a wristband when you enter you know, the arena and that's every single day. It's not like you get one for a week. Uh, we get regular COVID testing. We have have to wear a mask at all times, unless you're in a circumstance where you're just alone. So if I was in my office, then I could kind of go without my mask. But, you know, as soon as a colleague or student athletes come around, then we have to kind of be present in our mask. Uh, we work out um, in the gym, we all have on masks. Uh, we were just the protocol just changed to being outside that they no longer have to wear the mask outside, but we have to work out in the setting of social distancing. Um, we just recently, about a week and a half ago, were able to go uh, a five-on-five, five where uh, we yeah, have all on the court at the same time. So we were going for about two months in very small groups, and the number of players that could actually be on the court uh, were really small. So we were just doing a lot of individual workouts and things of that nature. Uh, Uh, they were receiving their food, um, hand delivery, like they couldn't actually like sit, you know, or go into the dining hall and eat as a group, like as they're used to doing. Um, It was pretty strict. I mean, I'm honestly, as much as it was difficult to adjust to, I thought our department and university did a great job in just putting together a circumstance that we could function in that was safe but also being strict about the, the protocol that we had to adhere to because, you know, we have conversations with, you know, colleagues and, uh, different coaches at different universities. And I can honestly say that, um, up to this point, no one has had a strict protocol as we have, but I believe it's also the reason why our athletes have been able to, to be safe.
2: Yeah. With, you know, Mr. Ryan over there, President, and I mean, you got, you know, I mean, UVA Hospital is amazing as far as what they can do as well. I mean, we, we've had the scientists on here from UVA talking about COVID and stuff that you're working on to get that done. But I'm amazed that, you know, the hospital, they actually called my dad, you know, during this process three or four times to check on him because uh, he had lung cancer and prostate stuff over there. And they do that with all their patients. So you're in a, great, you're in a good spot, you know, from my, my perspective, it's not that bad. But also the Absolutely. disability to be a coach and then you have to also recruit. You know, you, know, you got yeah. how, how many. Seniors? How do you recruit? I mean, Zoom calls and video. I mean, that's got to be tough to recruit young kids now to come to UEA that want to come. How do you do that?
3: It has been unbelievable when I so. Our jobs are serious business, just as far as just kind of the timing. And, you know, there's really not like a time in which you have off. So Mm -hmm. when you think about then having to recruit, communicate with your teammates, as well as your staff and administration, like all virtually, your days become, I mean, I can't even describe (laughs) just kind of like how difficult at times it was because, you know, our student athletes were not here. There was like a period of like five months where they were actually supposed to be on campus with us and they weren't. So keeping, you know, in touch with them and communicating, as well as the 20 other kids that, you know, you're recruiting, having to do that all like through technology, as well as um, as a head coach, just kind of like work through how we're gonna proceed through the pandemic, like the rule changes and everything. It was pretty amazing. I have become very familiar with just kind of technology (laughs) gadgets. I wasn't at first. I'm for sure not a techie, but it was pretty crazy. Uh, What I did learn is that um, we have the ability to do a lot with a little, you know? And uh, to be honest, we're we're pretty spoiled, you know, and how we're right, able right. to kind of operate. So the fact that so much was taken away and we were still able to do a pretty decent job, like I was proud of that. Um, I do believe that we kind of like lost a little bit in the sense that, you know, so many of the kids that you recruit, you kind of get them when they're able to be, you know, in the environment where you can kind of, feel body language and vibes and that they actually see the university and what it has to offer like in person, the, the beauty of grounds. I believe that that was kind of lost by a few student athletes because they weren't able to do, you know, official visits or do unofficial Mm -hmm. visits and actually see Charlottesville for, you know, the beauty that it is. But, you know, it's the reality of the circumstance and it's not something that we're kind of, um, fretting about. It's just the reality of just kind of where we are and we just kind of have to work from and and, uh, move on from there.
1: This is something that's been, uh, that's been going on obviously since March. So it's affecting this current season, but it also affected your players last season because the season just sort of evaporated. What was that like for your seniors? And what were the things that you said to them when, you know, they, they didn't have to, they didn't get to have the kind of proper goodbye and send off that they probably normally would have had just because of all of everything that was coming at us so quickly.
3: Yeah, it was tough just because, you know, um, the the kids, the four seniors that we had, had meant so much, you know, to this program. Even in the two years that I was here, like the load that they kind of put on their shoulders was huge. You know, I asked a lot of them and they rose to the occasion. So not being able to kind of meet them on grounds, you know, and give them a hug, like help them pack up and, you know, see them off. It was really, you know, odd. but it was, you know, it wasn't a good feeling because they did not, in my opinion, get you know, the proper send off that they deserve because what they poured into our program. So hopefully, you know, in the future, you know, we're able to kind of um, make up for that, that, you know, they get a proper graduation, that they kind of get to walk the lawn, that they get, you know, the proper just kind of praise and acknowledgement that they deserve and that um, their teammates, you know, are able to kind of thank them, you know, as well. That was extremely, you know, tough. I think that they have an idea of, you know, how we feel about them and what we feel like they were, they left behind, you know, the legacy in a sense, but um, being that we were really, really young, just conversations, you know, being our our players uh, present, being able to kind of feel the emotion of them kind of like leaving and how, you know, it happens so quickly being able to kind of hear those words and like feel that um, we underestimate like how much like that truly means. And our team is so young that yeah. I do believe that they would have benefited greatly from that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have some carryover from their previous coaching staff being on there for a few years. So those seniors were really special. I'm sure for you when you got there, cause they carried their load, but how has, you know, I think about you know after your career and Hall of Famer and you know all you have done. You know it's very rare that yourself or myself or people that have this career that they get a head coaching job at a university or aim at the NBA or WNBA level, right? I mean, we don't get those opportunities. So did you? I'm gonna go back. Did you ever want to coach? How do you? I mean, because you sound, you know, I, I know you somewhat, but to be able to go to University of Virginia. And, and we'll talk about in a second you know the climate there and what's going on in Charlotteville, but also as the Af- african-american coach hall of famer how do you take all that into effect to go there teach and train and all your stuff that you learned from your history to be who you are as a coach that motivates you to be the best you are so how do you do how, how do you think about that because I, I think about that you know i coached in phoenix for a little bit like you know they wouldn't let me sit on the bench you know they would, I had to i could do training I can do other stuff, but you had other people out there like, okay, great. You never played a game of basketball. So how do you <laughs> right. know that athlete's mentality to get there? So I have an issue with that. You know, across the board. We'll talk about that later, but how do you, how do you do that? Because it's very rare, like Don Staley, you, with yeah. a few others that come along that, that uh, been able to, to climb that ladder and there's some that have not. How, how, how have you done it and adjusted to that?
3: Well, I think that one of the reasons, or I know was that the, time, like the time I actually spent professionally, like I played 17 seasons in the WNBA. So, uh, when I entered in our inaugural season until in 1997 and and then retiring in uh, 2013, I was able to experience different kind of generations, like of the game. By the time I was retiring, the WNBA was very young. When I entered the WNBA, it was very mature. Like, I was the only rookie or like college player on our team that actually played significant minutes and contributed to our team. Um, I tell the story a lot of Cynthia Cooper being my teammate who's also a hall of famer and she had played professional basketball as long as I had played basketball in my entire life. (laughs) So when you think about the gap, like, like we were mature. Um, but the, what I learned kind of in that process is that, um, you know, like my leadership and how I was kind of contributing to our team and not just the points and things like that, but, um, having to bring along, you know, younger teams as I continue to get older. And um, continue to play in the WNBA, I developed a level of patience that yeah, I didn't that, know that helps, that I was developing, you know, at the time because it was necessary. Like I had a vet- very veteran team that, you know, things would happen in the game. We talk about it like just like that, fix it and then, you know, like move on. And we didn't need our coach to do that or direct us because I had like three or four coaches on the floor with me, you know um but as i grew you know i had a really young team the mentality was different i had veteran coaches that coached you know and had certain expectations but had this really really young team so i was kind of coaching on the floor then i didn't know it at the time right. but it was just kind of the reality of what was happening i didn't know that i wanted to be a coach and to be honest if you ask my friends they are were in complete shock <laughs> as much of my coaches would say, you know, do you have coaches in, coaching is in your future? I would go, no way. So all of my coaches, you know, coach chancellor, Brian, yeah. Adler, Michael Cooper, I, I definitely see coaches coaching in your future. The late Ann Donovan, you know, at some point, all of them had said something to that effect. And I was just like, no way, because I'm looking right. at them, the stress level, You know, like from morning to night, like how they were feeling and, you know, aging, you know, (laughs) I'm I'm not going to let basketball drive me crazy or, you know, age me in a way that I'm uncomfortable with. I know, funny, but totally a girl thing, and so that was kind of my thought process.
2: Well, I can tell you've done that gracefully because of your, you know, social media stuff. You you get out with your son, you have fun, you cook, you you enjoy your, your your life as a coach, but also as a a woman and growing up. So I can see that in what you post, but also now I can hear it. So I commend you for your. Coaching ability, because that's kind of the new era of coach. I mean, I'm sure those yeah. your players have to love what you do and how you are with them because I would want a coach that knows the game, right, but also respects me as a player Absolutely. that understands, you know, life as well. So, so that's very special. UVA is very, 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 uh, uh, I will not want say proud. They're very great to have you there. So I'll, I'll support that, obviously, because I went to school there. But she's also a great person. But anyway, Jason, I know you got a question over here. Go ahead. <laughs> I can see your hands in your chair because you got something there.
1: I mean, Tina, we're talking about your incredible career, and I think that is one of the reasons that you are a great coach, because you've just, you've gotten your 10,000 hours, you've seen it all, you've done it all, from Morningside High School in Inglewood, to USC, to 17 years in the WNBA, and there's so much to get into with all of that, but uh, let's really start at the beginning. You're born and raised in Los Angeles, and you grew up playing basketball with your brother and all of his friends, and I know that that had a big impact Impact on, one, your love for the game, and two, on making you the player that you became. So to, let's talk a little bit about that and on the impact of kind of playing with the boys growing up, uh, how that helped shape you and made you stronger, tougher, ready for the challenges that would come as you uh, played high school basketball at a legendary iconic place at Morningside, and then onto USC, which had such an incredible history of women's yeah. basketball there.
3: Well, playing with my brother and you know his friends, I just think that it helped me develop a level of toughness. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother was really, really hard on me. I'll say today that he's my biggest fan, but also my uh, biggest critic as well.
4: <laughs> um,
3: in that, um, you know, he really just kind of like pushed me in a way. And again, you know, you have these moments, and you don't know kind of what's happening when it's actually happening and how I'm growing but he had an extreme, you know, impact. If not for him, I definitely probably would not have been able to, um, grow the way that I did just in my mentality, you know, in everything. Um, so the toughness was probably the biggest thing. It was not easy at all. Like they were really good you know, one of the, the others, and I consider him one of my brothers is David Fisdale. He and my brother oh, yeah. were like best yeah. childhood friends, you know? So, you know, David had a great coaching career, um, and was a really good player, you know, like as well. So I was, you know, surrounded by, you know, not just good people, but also, uh, good players that kind of pushed me. So I for sure credit like my early experience and kind of developing who I was, my versatility, you know, with playing with boys. I played a lot outside, even though I was as in like on the wing because uh, I was tall, but I wasn't really <laughs> strong in comparison to the boys. So that's how I kind of developed my shot. Mm-hmm. So um, I do. I-, I can honestly say that those early experiences were, you know, a big part of my growth for sure.
2: So did you ever, I mean, you know, I had cousins that treated me the same way, but you and your brother, one-on-one, who
4: wins?
3: (laughs) Oh, for the longest time, he would beat me. I mean, just like kick my butt. There were times where I couldn't even, you know, he had me dribbling east-west, like I couldn't even get (laughs) the basket. So, you know, I would have to wear him down, but it's also when I started shooting a lot deeper with the guys so i'm like i have to get this shot off before they get close to me
4: right,
3: right. um but for the longest time he would beat me i think that when i was probably in high school is when it start getting a lot more competitive and i would win games by the time i got to college then i would totally beat
1: it <laughs> <laughs> about. yeah <laughs> well, and you had an incredible college career at USC, three uh, three uh, NCAA tournament appearances. Um, you got to play one season with Lisa Leslie. You were coached by Cheryl Miller. I mean, talk about some other basketball greats that are there. So much for you to learn from. But then the timing of it really worked out so well for you in your career. And you had so many advantages because of just the pure luck and timing of it all that a lot of other great women's basketball players we've talked to, Teresa Edwards and Nancy Lieberman, they had amazing careers overseas. But for you, you were the very first pick in the WNBA, the first player ever drafted into the WNBA. And when the WNBA started, there was no guarantee that it was going to work. But looking at where the league is now, where the women's game is now, that specific distinction of being the first overall draft pick in the WNBA, does it What does that mean to you seeing where the game is today?
3: It means a lot now. I mean, Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't know this, but know this story. Um, But I'm born and raised in Los Angeles, California. You know, it's where all my family is. They are still there. Um, At the time, the WNBA just kind of happened. Mm -hmm. You know, I was already planning to go on to law school. I wasn't planning to play basketball after college uh, unless it was just USA basketball because I wanted to be an Olympian. Mm-hmm. I actually got the call for the WNBA while I was in the Kaplan class studying oh. to take the LSAT. It was wow. just so crazy. And I also was kind of second guessing or or deciding whether it would be something that I should do because I had literally planned most of my life to go to law school. I wanted to be a Supreme Court justice. Like I had like these really big plans.
1: Well, we could use you. We could use you.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it was a gamble. Like you said, you know, there was no guarantee. And then the initial money that they offered me was like, 30 something thousand dollars. So like at the time in Los Angeles, like I could have been a professional athlete, but also qualified for public assistance. (laughs) So like, (laughs) when you think about that, I'm like, there's no way that I would, that I could kind of like take that kind of gamble. So with negotiations and things like that, it changed. And, you know, my thought process was, Okay, and I made the decision at the final hour where I had to like jump on a red eye and then head to New York to be there for the draft. (laughs) But it was one of those things where um, you don't know what the future is going to be like, but you take the chance because you're so committed. You know, I'm a researcher, so I had done the research on success of professional women' league, women's leagues in America. Not very. successful. But, you know, I honestly bet uh, I put my money on David Stern Mm -hmm. because of what he was able to do with the NBA in a very short period of time, make it a global brand and that um, his words like he was committed to developing the WNBA and the women were committed to creating a foundation of longevity. So that made it a lot easier choice. But Honestly, Los Angeles had, I think, the number three pick. Mm-hmm. So I was hoping that I would well, three,
4: yeah, so I yeah, could right.
3: stay at home. Stay home. Right. So when I got the initial call from Coach uh, Chancellor with Houston, you know, he's kind of like talking to me, uh, extreme Southern draw. So I didn't understand a lot of the things that he was saying, but he said that he was going to take me at number one. And what I thought about that. And I probably didn't answer for 10 seconds and <laughs> started coming out of my eyes. <laughs> i was like i have to leave los angeles and i was terrified in that moment because like i'm such an la girl and you know i just could never see myself living anywhere else again that was 18 years old oh, and I was wow. very naive and had no idea what i was kind of stepping into but yeah i cried and you know today i'm like Oh my gosh! What a loser! <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but in hindsight, it's the most amazing thing that happened to me. Absolutely. What so we
2: amazing. had Teresa Edward on as well, and she says so. I see it's the same sim- similarity as you. That twelfth hour, the deciding factor to jump on the plane and go to New York for the draft when you were already almost getting ready to take the LSAT to go to law school.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Was it David Stern or what was the, the key? To make that decision,
3: um, actually, it was um, well. Renee Brown was the second in the command for the second in command for the WNBA, and uh, one of my really good friends at the time was probably one of my best friends in college was Keyshawn Johnson.
1: Mm-hmm. So
3: he had just gotten drafted. And I was talking to him about it a lot simply because he had just experienced it. And he was one of the closest to me, like, professionally. And, you know, he was just like, what, you know, do you have to lose? You know, talking to him and my brother just like, it's an opportunity of a lifetime. And why not be a part of, you know, pioneering something that can be, like, so special? So, like, those conversations... Um, kind of tipped the hat for me just a little bit even though I was unsure the thought was that I could go back to law school if all things you know failed and my thought process was that I could play three to five years in the WNBA I could make enough money to pay for law school I wouldn't have student loans you know that three to five turned into 17 (laughs) but um I would probably say that it was just the conversations with like my village and those close to me, a little bit of divine intervention, you know, right, right. I prayed about it a lot. And, um, you know, I woke up, you know, like two days before and just thought that, you know, this is something that I feel like I should do because there's a possibility that I could have regrets, but it was not an easy decision.
2: I can only imagine. Yeah, That's got to be tough. An LA girl comes to Virginia by way of
3: Houston, so. I get it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so oh, that's another conversation. I, I know, get I get, think, so you. like, yeah. you live in Virginia? Are you kidding me? Like, you live on the East Coast. So, even I have days, and I love Charlottesville. I didn't think that. I didn't know that I would like it so much. It has changed a lot since the the last time I was here. Um, we actually played in an Elite Eight. Um, Here, okay. Yes, Um, so uh, the Charlottesville that I experienced then was definitely not Charlottesville of today. Like it's grown, you you know, so much. But you know, the picture that I had in my mind was you know old U-Haul and just like all (laughs) glory and driving from the airport, you know, into Charlottesville and nothing being there like all the things that we see now on 29 those things weren't there you know Mm -hmm. when they wasn't uh, there yeah imagine going to
2: school there and you know (laughs) nothing there Fast bags road with nothing there
3: yeah and then all of a sudden there was a university you know and beautiful as it was it was just like wow in the snow like, yeah, right. I've, I've never, the only time I've been in snow is when I played in Russia for a couple of seasons. So I had never lived in snow in America. So that wow. was for sure an adjustment.
4: Yeah.
2: The culture. So, So talk about, I mean, UVA and Carla, and how did you make the decision to come coach there? But also the culture dynamic of UVA, Thomas Jefferson, the history in today's world. You, I'm sure you see a little bit of that, and sure, a little bit over the last number of years. How has that impacted your mind or what do you think about, what's your opinion about
4: that type of stuff?
3: Well, um, I have a lot of opinions about it. I think, um, or I know, um, President Ryan and also Miss Carla are doing an amazing job of honoring history, but also changing the narrative in a, um, in a way that it is inclusive for everyone. Um, I, I know that it is difficult to lead the conversations about race, especially at the collegiate level, because there are so many um, people or groups that uh, have opinions, but also contribute to the functionality of the university. So yes. I know that it's not an easy conversation to be a university and an athletic department that is leaving, leading the conversation and being unapologetic about it. Of course, it puts us in harm's way. It allows people to have judgment. But the one thing that I can say that we're doing that not very many universities that have very similar university, like this is the history of America. Right. We are not having the conversations. So it makes us vulnerable, but at the same time, it makes us very real. And I appreciate that. So it allows me to have a comfort in being unapologetically a Black woman right. and that I can have the opinions that I have because they are my reality. I can grow our kids in a way that they are functioning in this reality, that they are proud of who they are, that they can have a voice as long as it's respectful, that it's not demeaning, that um, they are unapologetically being themselves. So to be able to have that um, platform and it be supported in a way that it allows them to grow to a point that When they leave grounds and they are headed off to uh, take on, on the world that they have grown in such a great way from these experiences because they've allowed they've been allowed to attack them, but also grow in the process. What I've learned about Charlottesville since I've been here is that it's not necessarily the picture that you saw on the news two years ago, right. that the people of Charlottesville are very kind, those um, in our university, in our department, very supportive, that I now know that what the news media portrayed and the people that were leading you know, that alt-right Uh, movement or a rally, we're not the community of Charlottesville. So that brings me a level of comfort. But the reality is that we have to change in America in general. And we have to Um, do things a lot differently. Like our old normal, like we cannot go back to that, that we have to move forward in a way that we are inclusive for everyone, that we're respecting everyone. And there is a strong need to change the way that we view people of color and how we treat them and um, that it's an equal playing field. I know that that is not going to be easy, but I appreciate the fact that I'm at a place that I can openly have this conversation with you all and state and have honest opinions and not worry about um, what that's going to look like about my future here and how it's going to impact me.
2: Absolutely. I I appreciate that. I mean, we Carla saying the same thing and We've had these mm-hmm. conversations when she first got to UVA and the whole thing around University of Virginia. And as an AD, the amount of pressure that she got dumped on her from Coach Little Page that was the previous AD. But now we have a female AD. It's a different, different ballgame. An African American female that's done an amazing job,
4: amazing. you know,
2: there bringing you there, and then you know, with Tony winning a national title and mm-hmm. football and you know the sports things so i appreciate what she does as well but it's interesting to hear you say that because i resonate with a lot of that being an athlete at uva back in the 79 83 you know we never really worried about racism in the sports world you you, yeah. you never see it because you're in that bubble so did you experience that as in Charlottesville at all or do you experience it over your career in your 17 years at the wma or you i mean la california is a little different right so yeah you don't see it as much out there as you do on the east coast but Why are you there? Have you experienced any racism at Charlottesville or in your career?
3: Um, Direct racism? No. Uh, In in the sense that I, I felt like I was kind of being ostracized or something like that because of my color and my presentation. I think I know that there's a level of ignorance that comes, you know, with race or just conversation that people have or comments that they make and don't realize that those things are racially insensitive when you are talking to a person of color. I experience often where people believe that they're complimenting me when they say, oh my gosh, you speak so well. (laughs) You are so articulate. And I'm thinking like, what did you I'm expect? Be, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm a college graduate with a couple degrees right. and I've traveled the world, like what you know, mm-hmm. or you carry yourself like so well and you're so well dressed and presentable, yeah, right. and it's thinking like, yeah, we're at a black tie event, everyone in here is dressed well, <laughs> like mm-hmm. that is the expectation at this event, so subtle things like that um not necessarily subtle but the idea that there is an ignorance to kind of what that says and the openness and obviousness of that is like wow is that a compliment or <laughs> what exactly do you mean by that or please explain or share because I believe that a lot of people do not realize what it is that they're uh, that they're implying or saying instead of just saying, that's a really nice dress. Right.
2: You wear but it. You, well. you, but you you know, I mean, you, you've seen the UVA standard, you people walk around with khaki pants on and a blue and orange shirt. So they're just the standard UVA. They're not used to you. LA style, world style dress. I mean, you come to the games put together, well-dressed, mm. your team understand it, and you. I mean, it's, it, that's who you are. Most people don't understand it, right? So they see something that they're not used to at University of Virginia. Tony Bennett, they see something they're not used to as uh, they got used to him. Right. So that's why I asked that question, because you are totally different than the UVA norm.
3: Absolutely. Well, you know, to be honest, well, I mean, I am from California, so of course, and from Los Angeles, so I bring that. Um, yes. The reason why I took the interview to come to UVA is because it speaks to my person. It's the reason why I chose Southern Cal. There is an expectation of excellence academically. There's an expectation of excellence at, uh, athletically, and there is no budging. On either side, you know, None. it is excellence, period. So that's who I am. You know, it's the reason why I made the decision that I made to go to um, USC. Like I was recruited by every university in the country, yeah. but there were things that mattered to me that uh, more than just basketball, but were just as important. So mm-hmm. coming to um, Virginia and being able to have this job. It speaks to my person because it um, represents the things that are important to me. I believe that all of our kids should get a degree, that they should do so in fine fashion, that they should study in the field of their passion and the degree that they have be viable Like once they leave the university. So there's not going to be a player that's uh, a part of my program while I'm here that's going to have a degree in African-American studies.
4: Right. It's informative. <laughs> do how
3: do you, you apply that to the world? You know, right. I, I think it's a really cool thing to say. But the reality is, is that as women in sports, the opportunity is few and far between. And in most cases, the salary is not one that you can consciously operate in this world successfully unless you are the extreme elite. Yes. So right. um the importance of that is important to me whether I'm a coach or not. It's what I teach my son, whether he's going to be a collegiate student athlete or not. So for me, taking this interview was very easy because of what the university represents. Now, me, just kind of like my style and, you know, being a lady, like that's just who I am. Like that's just what I was taught. That's, you know, who my grandmothers, you know, oh, yeah. kind of raised me. You know, to be as fierce as I was as a competitor, like when I was outside the lines, you know, I'm just Tina. So, you know, what everyone. Sees is just you know who I am. Whether it's the cooking on Instagram or you know <laughs> or you know hanging out with my my players and my kids and us having fun and the same thing with my son. It is the reality of who I am. So if you see my, you look at my Instagram. It's absolutely who I am, and um, I'm never going to fit into the mold of anything. Like I'm going to be you know who I am, and, and it's just simply that.
2: Now, now, has the son challenge you yet? Because I know he's growing like a weed, in, in the backyard in the <laughs> carport, I see that he's shooting, can shoot her very well. See him in the gym. Is, is he challenge you yet, or you, you still got it?
3: He is. So this summer we did, did play one on one, and okay. I did well. That's the challenge, though.
4: Okay, he was yeah.
3: cocky enough to challenge me one on one, and then decide that we should put it on Instagram Live. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So what he didn't realize is that just literally pushed the level of my competitive juices <laughs> up. So um, I ended up beating him. It was a, a lot closer than it had ever been. So okay. I, I do believe that if we ever decide to play again, there's a possibility that he could win. Because now
2: you, you he, got you have too many tricks, you, you won't let anyone, you're tripping yourself. <laughs> so, you won't let I anyone, mean, it yet. will
3: be a tough feat. But he's a big guy now, like so. Yeah. You know, we had a physical or wellness checkup like last week, and um, he's 15 years old and he's like six five and a half with his shoes off, so he is. I'm six one, you know, with my shoes yeah. off, so he's uh, he's definitely taller than I am, a little bigger, <laughs> a little stronger, so. Uh, I, I'm, I, I'll have a little bit on my hands if I try to play them one-on-one.
2: There you go, there you go. Well, <laughs> I look forward to the Seeing that on Instagram or video somewhere, see me <laughs> play. Every I don't know the video. How?
3: <laughs> you
1: don't
2: want a video, takedown. All right, good. You will not you air your will You want
4: air? He'll air
1: yeah. Tina, you talked about all the things that are on your plate as a head coach. I mean, yeah. in a normal year, there's a lot between recruitment. It's it's so much more than just X's and O's. It's being a friend and a mentor, a guidance counselor. But with everything that's going on with also COVID this year, with Uh, systemic racism and racial injustice that's taking place and people wanting to use their platform. How do you define what makes a great coach at the collegiate level? Because it is so many of these factors. It's not just X's and O's.
3: I I think that you have to kind of be open to everything and that you have to be committed to doing the work. Um, If you Are committed to doing it the right way it's really hard like there is no it's really hard and i say the same thing about our student athletes if you do it the right way it's gonna be tough but it's what we signed up for you know so i try to be um as open as i possibly can but remain or continue to have a high standard so what I do is that I meet them where they are individually and kind of collectively as a group. Um, but I also have a very high standard of expectation in what I'm expecting of them because the reality is, is that we've done as a staff what they've done before. You know, I mean, what they're atten- uh, attempting to do, we've done it before and at a very high level. So we have the blueprint. So we try mm-hmm. to um, have them follow it as much as we possibly can, but in a way that their own experiences shape that. Mm-hmm. So the conversations, sometimes I'm just kind of like, wow,
4: because <laughs> yeah, they're just strange.
3: so different. They're so informed, you know, they're so smart. Uh, they're so self-aware or just aware of the things that are going on around them. So. I don't necessarily treat them like they are children. You know, I treat them like they are young adults, but I also remind them that they're in a position right now that they're they're learning how to lead. So they have to follow in order to be the best leader that they can possibly be. So the level of respect, um, high level of integrity about how you go about the things that you go about. Reality, you are in a structure. You know, as much yeah, as you yeah, yeah. are an individual, you signed up to be a part of a group, a crew, an organization, a university, whatever it is that you want to call it, like you signed up for that. So you have to be yourself in the confines of that in a way that is very respectful, like of that structure. So it is a constant, you know, process like of growth. Um, As much as I do know, I try as much as I possibly can to not present that I know everything. So the things that I do talk about to them, I I speak from a place of knowing. And if I don't know, then I'll Mm -hmm. get the answer and we'll figure it out together, you know? So kind of being open you know, being like touchable as much as I possibly can while maintaining, you know, that level of respect is just the goal every single day. And I care about them, you know, like I absolutely love my kids and I tell them that, and I know that it's not ideal, but I don't think that I personally can go through this process, the amount of time, the energy and emotion that you're pouring into them to not care for them in an extreme way, to not lead them from a place of love. There are often times where my mom voice comes out.
4: <laughs>
3: I try to do the best job that I can daily. I don't get it right all the time. And when I don't, I don't act like I did, sure. you know, I'm honest about the, Hey, you know, I might've screwed this one up. but. Yeah. You know, this will never happen again and we will continue to grow and we're going to make mistakes, but we have to be able to, you know, adjust and, you know, move past them. So being honest and um, being exactly who I am definitely helps. Um, it is unconventional, but it's the only way that I know. So I'm not going to try to 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 do or be something that I that I'm not. It's very easy for me to be myself. I don't have to think about that.
2: Absolutely. You sound you sound like so. When we look at the stat sheet after the game when you play, right? People <laughs> ask me how many points did you score? Again? I have no idea.
4: going
2: on show can tell you how many turnovers I had because I looked at that, and you know, I, you know, from an athlete when you have a bad day or a bad game, right? You you understand that, you know that clearly. And I knew that when I played. So it sounds like the same thing in some respects that you know when you're not in your A game.
4: Yeah. But I was
2: taught as a my mother, like your heart, your 80% gotta be better than most people's 100%. So you yeah. probably drive yourself, you know, very, very hard after a game, before the game. And you look at your turnovers cause the next day
3: you wanna be better as
2: well. So I can relate to what you're saying. I'm
3: gonna feel that. Your 80% has to be better than other people's hundred. Because that is my mindset, but that is a great way to pull it. I'm still in that one, Ralph.
2: You, you got it. You have
3: it. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one, Mom. Your mom that <laughs> one <laughs>
2: good one. Yeah, she got a couple more. It's
1: all in the the Virginia handbook. It's all in the same, <laughs> place, you know. Yeah. yeah.
3: No, but that it's it's true like you, you can't get comfortable. You know, I have a lot of nights where I don't like sleep a lot because it's just how my brain works, you know, just looking for resolve and resolution and solutions. But um, I believe that it, it's worth it. You know, those girls are the reason why I'm doing the job, you know, seeing the things that we pour into them um, and their growth in those, their goals and the uh, path that they have for themselves, like those things coming into fruition is the reward of what we do. You know, we had a yes. kid go into a, the, the lottery, you know, be drafted in the lottery of this year's draft. Two years ago when we got here, no one knew her name.
4: No, you know no.
3: what I mean? But she decided that this is what she wanted for herself. We had the tools to be able to give her in order for her to accomplish it. But she had to do the work, you know, and she did it like those things are the most rewarding because she created that for herself with the help of us. And I just believe that that is our job, you know, to put them in a position to be the best version, you know, of themselves. And. Jocelyn, you know, did that. Like she is yeah. one of those kind of workers. She is a person or, or a young person of excellence. And once she kind of got the tools, then um, you know, there were no limits for her. Oh, so really? to see that happening for her it was like, wow, you know, you did that. Now yeah, we very gave very you fun. the things, but it was totally, you know, your body of work and commitment that did that. And for me, those are kind of the best moments of you know what we do.
2: That's yeah, special to see your 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 sweat, your work put into somebody else. They take it and then they go to the next level. Nothing's better than the seeing your 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 kids achieve something that you taught. Yeah. So that that that'll last forever. That last, you know a lifetime after lifetime. So that's very special.
1: Well, it's amazing to see you now pay it forward. You've achieved so much success in your career uh, at every level from high school, to college, to the pros, to the Olympic game, and now paying that forward to all of the student athletes that you're coaching at the university of Virginia. And we have no doubt that you will continue to find success both on the basketball court and away from it. Uh, A question that we like to tie things up and always ask our guests towards the end is, is there someone who is instrumental to your success, Tina Thompson, that you want to pay homage to, to help pave the way to get to where you are today.
2: And they call it they call it coach T. So
3: um gosh, there are so many. It would be very difficult for me to choose one. Um because you know I just have these different people. My brother um is just documented as being, you know, that one that was just kind of the constant. Mm. Um I could say coach Miller, like my time with her was incredible. You know, she was new and just kind of being a coach, but, um, she has that thing that, you know, greatness is made of. And there were just things that she would say to me that, you know, would literally flick the switch for me. And she taught me how to be a better player, you know, and just because great is what she was. Um, and moving into my professional career, they were uh, two guys. Uh, Ralph is familiar with one of them. Brent Johnson, He's grew up just down, yeah, down the road in Melvin Hunt. They were really kind of critical Um In my time in Houston, they were uh, working with our organization, but on the men's side with the Rockets. I spent a lot of time with them and just kind of working on my game as a professional, but um, I could literally go on on, and on, but um, I, I would say that those guys just kind of stuck out the most simply because I was in this transition. So leaving my brother, like, you know, you just go to next levels. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were people that when I got to the next level that had an immediate impact. Cynthia Cooper was my teammate. Um, mm-hmm. Her level of work and commitment to the game was incomparable. So I have been really lucky and blessed to just kind of have people come along, you know, during my journey to pour in pour into me in a way that has allowed me to just raise my level like every time. So. I wish I had just one guys. I know I
2: didn't. <laughs> that's
3: okay. Yeah, multiple, but there are so multiple. many. There's but... probably like 10 other people I can name.
2: Well, you're, you're, you're number one draft pick with your brother. So we, we get that. Absolutely. So special. Yeah, yeah, but
1: I that. you learned from so many of the best, and that's what made you the best. And now you are paying it forward and doing the same thing to this next generation. Absolutely. It's a thing to, to I'm watch.
3: trying to, you guys. I'm trying.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you were doing it. You
1: were doing it. Well, there's a lot to juggle, and you've got your hands full, and we really appreciate you taking some time to spend with us out of your very busy day. Uh, like we said, you know, you're now the women's basketball coach, but what you're doing extends beyond just basketball. So much that is, is on your plate, shaping this next generation of future leaders. They have to follow first to lead. i stealing your words, and uh, they're, they're following a good one in you, Coach T.
3: I appreciate that, Jason. That's what I'm attempting. I really appreciate it. This was great. I'm so glad that we kind of found the time to be able to get together. I really enjoyed this interview, so I appreciate you guys.
1: Likewise. I, I'm just hoping to get like an honorary something from the University of Virginia after all this time I'm spending, you know. He, with, he's a
2: Cleveland Cavalier fan. He lives on the West Coast. It's a Cavalier. You know, That's close. Just, Cavalier.
3: You know, you're you're a yeah. right? The Cleveland
2: Cavalier. It's different, yeah, different. You know, the orange and blue is special. So yeah,
1: for sure. For yeah. sure. Well, thanks again, Tina. I uh, really appreciate I'll it. I'll
2: be in touch. Thanks if anything. Let me know. I'll text you later.
3: Okay, Ralph. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate you guys. And thanks to everybody else. I appreciate
1: it. Ralph, the University of Virginia is very, very lucky to have someone like Tina Thompson as the head coach of their women's program.
2: Well, you know, I mean, that's, you can see why they hired her. You know, Mm -hmm. Carla Williams interviewed her, new AD. I mean, the coaches ups and leaves basically due to some personal issue. And she's looking for a coach. And obviously, Tina got interviewed. But you can see why she fits the UVA model and mode of excellence on the court and off the court in the classroom. I mean, amazing. she wanted to be a Supreme Court judge. So, I mean, mm-hmm. USC getting ready to take the LSAT and then the WNBA call. And she still weighs, should I do this or not? Right. I mean, her passion for basketball and her history and she wants to play. But she's weighing, should I even go to New York and be the number one pick in the first WNBA draft? I mean that, that's that's huge right there. It tells it tells you who she is a lot,
1: and it also tells you how far the game has come today. I mean, if you're going to be the number one pick in the WNBA draft, you're probably it's probably no brainer. You're not considering something else. I mean, back well then, today, yes, today, yeah, today, today. Back, yeah. then, back then, the new it was risky, but that that just shows where the game has evolved today, and uh, it's really cool to see that uh, Tina was a big part in. How far the WNBA has come mm-hmm. since she was the Absolutely. first ever all-star I mean, selection?
4: Yeah,
1: you
2: live in LA, so you can imagine coming to the WNBA. She was a third pick, making thirty thousand dollars a year, living in LA. I mean, ain't mean, gonna have to have assistant to live and make it in LA. I mean, even seventeen years ago, to make a difference, LA's you know city that you gotta have a good living to live there. Mm-hmm. But imagine that having to weigh that as a young lady, and you know, I'm go- I'm gonna be a lawyer in And and make it work and make, you know, six figures at least Mm -hmm. being a lawyer. But she was smart. She waited. So I can go to the NBA five years, make enough money to pay for my law school, then become a lawyer. So ended up 17 years. But what a career. I mean, amazing story, amazing career, amazing
1: person. It really is. It's uh, She got good advice from her friend, Keyshawn Johnson, to go to she the did. WNBA. I'm glad that she did. Uh, it obviously worked she's out. She's glad so. she did, too. <laughs> <It's good. laughs> she is, too. Yeah, she's in the Basketball Hall of Fame because of it. Uh, had an amazing career, and it was great chatting with her today and we just want to thank you all for listening to another edition of center court joining ralph and i every week we're bringing you a fresh episode each tuesday and you can be sure to follow us on social media at center court 50 ralph sampson 50 i'm at Jay Z fish uh and ralph what else should they do they gotta they gotta do something else for us too right all of our loyal listeners they
2: gotta go on and give us a five-star rating on Spotify and all these other places so get on listen to us Stay tuned for more exciting shows. Uh, We're excited here at Center Court. And stay tuned for more great episodes.
1: We can't wait. We have a lot of Hall of Famers coming through the door here at Center Court. And we're always joined by the one and only Ralph Sampson. Thanks for listening to another edition of Center Court. We'll see you next week.
0: Miro, I've used those technical shape packs way too many times, and stuff is just digestible on its infinite online canvas. Now, the final question. Everyone's brought in, but you have to make all these tasks all the way over in Jira. But wait, it's done. Is it Miro? Easy with its two-way Jira sync. Easy to plot dependencies. Everyone always knows what's up. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people creating technical diagrams without workflow glitches. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com.